Good morning, church. Got a question for you. How are you doing? No, really, seriously. How are you doing right now? Are you thriving? Are you just holding up? Are you just getting by? Are you a little worried? Are you a little anxious? Are you frustrated? There are so many emotions that you could be experiencing right now. I just want to ask, who have you shared those emotions with? Have you prayed about these emotions? God knows exactly what is ahead of us. So the question becomes, are we living in the peace that comes with knowing that God absolutely knows exactly what's coming our way? Or are we living in fear that we do not know what's going to happen next? It's a, it's a great question. And tomorrow night, Monday night, at 7 o'clock, live online, uh, the elders are going to be meeting online with all of you. And so what we want to do is um, we want to share some things, some ways that God has kind of been working in us during this time. And we want to open up the door for you to do the same things. We also are going to share some ideas and, and things that we're considering for when we are allowed to open up. Again, I know the governor uh, put out the big announcement on Friday for different things, and so we're going to look at some of those and discuss some of those with all of you. Um, you're going to be able to watch in the exact same way that you are right now, so tune it in on, on the YouTube, on your TV, and then uh, open your phone or your tablet, and please, please, please engage with us, bereachristianchurch.com online.church. Um, we need you to go there because we're going to ask some questions and we need some feedback. And so uh, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what's happening in your life, any needs that you might have right now, what you're feeling, what you're thinking. Um, we want to know this stuff and we can't know it if we don't get a chance to interact with you. So please join us Monday night, seven o'clock online live. We want to hear from you guys. I want to begin that communication about what it's going to take to open up, what you're looking forward to, how soon we might be able to do those things. All right, let's take a moment and pray about that right now. Father God, um, we don't know the exact date yet that we'll all be able to gather once again. Um, but Father, we know you have a plan. We know that your plan is in motion, and we just want to submit ourselves to your will. Uh, regardless of what we want to do, we want to make sure that we follow your guidance, your direction. And so we look forward to hearing from your people. Uh, we pray for those right now that are in need. Um, we pray for those uh, that are suffering for whatever reason. We pray for those that are just worried, anxious, fearful of what's coming or even of this particular event in life. Father, we want to lift them up, put them in your hands. Uh, we pray that they're putting those needs in your hands as well. Father, we're so grateful for the way that we've gotten together during this time, and uh, we look forward to the future. Father, back together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, uh, it's great to be with you again this morning. You'll notice that uh, today we're coming to you from uh, our house. In fact, I'm actually in our kitchen, um, but just a different little different venue this week. We're excited about it. We're excited about uh, the topic this week, though it is difficult, but we've into today, the original story of man in the garden. What happened? What, what happened there? Well, ultimately, mankind fell, fell prey to the sin of pride. But what was it that led them down that road? Well, it was this thing called temptation, which is the topic of today. Now, I'm going to read to you the modern day trans, the modern day, sorry, definition of temptation. Here's what the dictionary says: to desire to do something. 
especially something wrong or unwise. I want you to consider that. Did you notice the modern definition? To desire to do something. <laughs> then it adds something wrong or something unwise. Now, there is a key word missing from that definition. Did you catch it? Do you know what it was? Well, let's rewind. Let's go back to 1828. Same dictionary, Webster's Dictionary from 1828. And I will read to you the definition from 1828. Solicitation of the passions, enticement to evil, proceeding from the prospect of pleasure or advantage. The state of being tempted or enticed to evil. <laughs> now check this out. You know in your dictionary sometimes there's a sentence that defies or tells you, or uses the word in a sentence. And so here's the word from the 1828 dictionary. When by human weakness you are led into temptation, resort to prayer for relief. Now, we probably couldn't even print that definition or that sentence any longer in a dictionary, but how true is it? When by human weakness you are led into temptation, resort to prayer for relief. Amen. So let me edit the modern day definition just a little bit. The desire to do something evil. It's good enough there, but you could throw in wrong or unwise as well, because not everything we're tempted to do is completely evil, okay? But understand there is a word missing. Why do you think that one little four-letter word is missing from that definition today? It's a curious question. God doesn't change. Um, God's word hasn't changed. Uh, evil certainly has not changed and has not diminished in any way, shape, or form on this planet. But you see, now, if there is something out there, and there's someone that wants to do it, even if that temptation only brings them temporary pleasure or fulfillment, then in the world's eyes, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. If it feels good, do it. It's been the motto for a long, long time in our world, and that is relativism at its finest. And in our day of cultural relativism. Morality seems to be a forgotten word. In fact, very people use the word temptation anymore at all. A growing number of people believe that there are no moral absolutes, and consequently, there are little or no restraints on any action that anyone wants to perform or, or do. You see, here's the thing. In order for evil to exist, then there must be something called good, right? And in order for each one of those, good and evil, to exist, there must be some way to determine which is which. In order to make that determination, there must be a standard, an absolute standard by which to define good and evil. Certainly, there is no one person that can define such a standard, right? Well, in the eyes of the world, that is correct. And so, therefore, there is no such standard. Since there's no person that can define that standard, there is no standard of morality, no standard to base good and evil. Well, the world has part of that right. There is no one person that can define that standard, but there is one God. And not only is he capable, but he already has. All we need to know about good and evil can be found right here in this good, good, great book. Now, here's the thing. You and I, we don't have to believe it, no. But just because we don't believe it doesn't mean that it's not true. Just because we don't agree with what God has determined to be evil does not change the fact that it is evil or sinful or depraved. We don't get to make that judgment. In our current moral climate, James's words 
about temptation are essential. His truth is Christ's truth, and it is consistent with all of Scripture. And James cautions, James's caution exposes exactly, exactly what has happened to so many people today. He says, don't be deceived, my brothers. Here's the problem. Not only has the world been deceived, but unfortunately the deception has crept into the church, into the minds and hearts of believers. In some cases, the evil is now accepted and even promoted within the church. Now, today's passage is very, very, very short. As we said from the beginning, James likes to get right to the point. He doesn't beat around the bush at all. So here it is. This is the truth. This is the reality. And that is the problem that many people have with this passage. It's true. Maybe it's too true because it exposes you and it exposes me to the truth. How will you respond to what James shares with us. In these next few verses, James shares with us exactly where temptation comes from. He tells us where temptation takes us, and then he gives us that definitive warning about temptation. So here we go. What is the cause of temptation? What's the source? What's the origin of temptation? The evil that seems to just sneak in without anybody knowing comes along our way. Most people would quickly point out, well, obviously the temptation comes from without. It's these external objects, these external forces that are in charge of tempting us. These outside forces are solely responsible for bringing these evils into our path. Well, James actually says quite the opposite. He begins by reminding everyone that when we are tempted, no one should say that God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. James 1.13. James admits that there is an external force, but it certainly is not God. In other words, do not blame God for our temptations. Then James introduces the idea, the real true source, the internal component of our temptation. Yes, temptation comes from within. Each one of us is tempted by his own evil desires, and he is dragged away and enticed. It's a powerful sentence. This evil desire, often translated lust in many of our modern English translations, when this internal source of desire attaches itself to an evil object, it draws us out and away from our place of security outside of God's will. In the words of James, we are dragged away. Now, when there's no evil desire, well, there's no temptation. There's no dragging away. It is the internal source that draws us away and causes us to want to play outside of God's will for our lives. Lust is not just a desire. It is a desire gone to seed. The next time you face one of your typical temptations, and we all have them, watch for the struggle to begin. Watch for the struggle between your desire, the evil desire, and your reason, what you know to be right. If you give into temptation, it will always be because your desire has overcome reason in the struggle to influence your will, what you actually do. Your desire has been overpower has overpowered what you know to be right. If we are to defeat this temptation, then we must know that the basic problem lies within us. <laughs> 
If we don't, then our response after giving into that temptation will be absolutely no different than Adam's in the garden. Probably many of you have used this before. After he ate the fruit and God questioned him as to why, his response was, well, the woman you put me here with, well, she gave me the fruit and I ate it. <laughs> yes, we'll all begin to make excuses for why we gave into that temptation. You see, it is our own evil desires that lead us into temptation. We may think we're merely responding to outward influences, outward things we come across in our life, but that is not the truth. The truth is it is our evil desires. And our evil desires are constantly searching for ways. They're searching out ways to fulfill these desires, constantly trying to put us in a situation where we can satisfy that desire. Now, there are some external forces at work as well. James doesn't deny that. James says once that a desire becomes evil, it causes us to be enticed. Now that word enticed is a funny word. It means to be baited or being deceived. It carries with it the word picture of fishing, of the fish spotting the worm in the water thinking, hey, there's my next meal. They eat the worm only to be deceived because deceitfully inside of that worm is that hook and they are hooked and dragged into the fisherman's hands, dragged away. Well, the reality is the same thing happens to us. Many people are hooked by the world's allurements in the same way. But here's the thing. If the fish was not interested in a worm, then there would be no temptation. It would not be dragged away. It is the fish's desire for the worm that causes them to be tempted, and it's no different in our life. The cause of temptation is not found in the externals. It is not found in God. It is not found in the devil. It is not found in our circumstances. James said that each of us is tempted when, by his own evil desires, he is dragged away enticed. And that is a hard truth to swallow. We always want to blame someone else, but the reality is it's me. It is me that tempts me. I can't blame anyone. I can't blame anything. I cannot defeat this enemy on my own. Now, there is an incredible passage that ties in perfectly with James's words. It's not from the book of James, but is too important to the conversation to leave out it. It is from Paul, and it's from his first letter to the church in Corinth, chapter 10, verse 13. He says this, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now, let's first talk about what this verse does not say. The world and many believers have taken this verse completely out of context, and they claim this, that God will not give us more that we can handle. That's not what the verse says in any way, shape, or form. This verse is only talking specifically about temptation, first and foremost, and it is not true what, that, what, what people claim this verse says. First of all, God isn't the one that tempts us. God doesn't give us temptation. So that's out. It's our own evil desires that get credit for the temptation. This verse does not say that we can handle it in any way, shape, or form. It says that when the verse... that the verse says that when temptation comes our way, again, because you and I bring it into our own lives, that God will provide a way out for us. He doesn't force us to choose that way out. He simply 
offers it. Now, I love this passage because it speaks absolute truth, but it shows the love and the compassion of God for each of us. Even when we have chosen, our evil desires are pushing us in that direction, God still comes in with a rescue plan for all of us. Now, Paul says there's nothing new under the sun. You and I have absolutely, our, our temptations, our experiences are no different than any other human being. Temptation has been around since the beginning of time for man. But God is faithful even now in our temptation. Paul then assures us that you won't be tempted beyond what you can bear. Now, what does he mean there? Does he mean that you and I should be strong enough on our own to withstand our own evil desires and just overcome them? Does he mean that God expects us to be able to hold up during all of these temptations on our own? Absolutely not. You've got to remember the words of Paul elsewhere. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Not I can do all things on my own. I can do all things through Christ. Jesus himself said, hey, here's the thing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That nothing includes resisting our own evil desires. So Paul reveals the secret to the equation. When we are tempted, God will provide a way out so that we can endure it, so that we can escape it, so that we can flee from it. I want you to think about it this way. When we are tempted, when we're dragged away by the object of our desire, God provides the escape hatch, the exit ramp. Maybe a parachute is necessary to bail completely on a situation. That is what God does. What I want you to do is in your mind, think right now back to a time, could be recent past, could have been a long time ago, where you were tempted to do something. I want you to think about that. And I want you to think about the situation And I want you to open your eyes to everything that was involved. And I want you to envision those escape hatches, those escape routes, that parachute that God absolutely provided for you along the way. It might have looked like this. It might have just been an open door to walk away. Maybe it was advice that someone gave you. And it just came back at that moment as you were being tempted. Maybe it was yet another lie that you had to tell and you knew you shouldn't to get away with this sin. Maybe it was the extra time you knew you should not have taken to be a part of it. Maybe it was the guilt you felt as you headed in that wrong direction. You see, God knows you and he knows me. He knows our weaknesses. He knows how to help us in these times. So he provides the exit ramp. Here's the cool thing. The exit ramp is usually lit with millions and millions upon millions of LED light bulbs. So it's really obvious that that is the choice we should be making. The question becomes, did we allow our desires to overcome us, to overcome the reason that God has given us to know that this is not the right path? Or did we hit the brakes and listen to what God was trying to teach us? That takes us from the cause of temptation to now the course, the the where does temptation take us? It is essential for us believers, not simply to examine the cause, but now to examine the the def- <clears throat> sorry the, the the reality of where temptation actually takes us when we give in. Um, James cautions us to look down the road and to see where temptation actually ends? Where does sin get us? The reality, very simple. Death. (laughs) 
Yeah, defeat and death. Temptation is like a weed that grows unchecked and then begins to destroy whatever is around it. The weed has three parts, a root, a shoot, and a fruit. The progression is very obvious. It is the same with temptation. The root of temptation is selfish desire. The shoot of temptation is a sinful decision. The fruit of temptation is absolute sure defeat. James 1.15 puts it this way, Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. This law of Scripture is as absolute as the law of gravity, which we all live under here on earth. So for you and for me, what is the desire that could lead to death? What is that sinful desire that is tempting us even today that could lead to death and destruction of things in our life? Is it a relationship that we should not have? Is it a possession? Is it a substance? Is it a habit? What is it that you are being drawn toward? Now, if you're really seriously engaged in this conversation, then you're thinking about what that thing is right now. And as you are thinking, I can almost guarantee you that Satan has begun working on you. He's probably saying something to the effect of, hey, that's not really a temptation, is it? You're in total control. There's nothing wrong with that fill in the blank. You're fine. Just stay a little longer. Send that extra text message. Take one more drink. One more Look, after all, God didn't really say, hey, don't look at that. Hey, don't drink that. Hey, don't say that. Hey, don't watch that. God never really said those things, did he? Well, now, if you're hearing that voice inside of you, I hate to freak you out any, but that is literally Satan. He's been using the exact same language since the garden of Eden. It's the exact same deception that he used with Adam and with Eve. We have to have our guard up at all times. We have to take that shield of faith, get it out there, and as these flaming arrows come in our direction, we can begin to extinguish those from our enemy. <clears throat> so many people mistakenly think that temptation just sneaks up on them, and just like that, they just give in to the sin. They had no idea it was coming. Remember, being tempted actually isn't a sin. Jesus was tempted, and yet he did not sin, Hebrews 4, 15. Now, many years ago, um, when my wife and I were much younger, our senior pastor at our church gave us a list of, of words, if you will. Uh, he shared with us this list, the process by which we are tempted. There are seven words in this list, and all of them begin with the letter E. And the first one is the entrance, the entrance of the thought into our mind. That is where temptation begins. That's our evil desire. The thought comes into our brain. And then we begin, step two, we begin to entertain the thought. We begin to think about that desire just a little bit. We start to entertain it. Then we examine the thought. We begin to plot and plan how we might be able to get away with this. We really begin to think about this thought more deeply. We examine it. Well, then we enjoy the thought. Well, hey, Maybe it wouldn't be such a bad thing. Maybe I would get some pleasure, some enjoyment. Hey, we begin to entertain, enjoy, sorry, enjoy that thought. Then we actually go through with it. We experience the thought. We give in 
completely. After the experience, of course, we then must cover our tracks, so we have to make an excuse for that thought. We have to excuse why we did it, how we did it, that we were fine doing it, or whatever our excuse might be. And then finally, we are enveloped by the thought. The the reality of what has just happened has now come to fruition, and we deal with the consequences or continue in that sin. Here's the reality. All we have to do is stop at step one. When the thought enters our mind, we have to eliminate it. Get rid of the thought. If we get rid of that desire immediately, as soon as it enters our mind, then that is the greatest risk. That's where the greatest risk is posed. If we eliminate it right then, then nothing will ever become of that thought. We must immediately reject that thought, that desire. Paul gives us a reminder that is perfect. If you do not have this passage memorized, I want to encourage you to do that right now. It is Philippians 4.8, and this is the thought to think every time one of our evil desires comes in and begins to lead us astray. If we can just, as that thought comes in, immediately fight against that thought with this passage, you will overcome it. I believe that's why God gives us his word, is to overcome these evil things. And this is a perfect example. Paul said, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Memorize that right now, today, so the next time you are faced with temptation, which will probably be in about 15 or 20 minutes because that is the way our life works, you can immediately just pop this into your brain and fight right away against it. If you remember Jesus' example in the desert when he is tempted by Satan, how does he always respond? Scripture. He literally quotes Scripture every time he is tempted. He quotes scripture. We must fight the battle the same way. Finally, the caution of temptation. Now, I I spoke of this in the very beginning of this message. James cautioned to us. He concludes his words about temptation with that flashing yellow caution light. Hey, everybody, don't be deceived. James cautions us not to be deceived about sin. He cautions us not to be deceived about our Savior. Our world is constantly deceiving us. He writes that every good and perfect gift is coming down from the Father of lights who does not change like the shifting shadows in the time that we live in. All good, all perfect gifts are from God. Your desire for your spouse, your desire to care for and, and, and be with your family, these are gifts from God. These are desires pointed in the right direction. God's gifts might be simple. God's gifts might be glamorous, but there's no disguising gifts from God. They are always good. They are not mysterious. They are not confusing in any way shape or form, with the greatest gift of all being the gift of salvation, this new life that we are truly made for forever with him. He gives us a new birth and this new life through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. He shares this with us through his word, the truth. Don't be deceived by anything. Listen to the truth of God's word. I'd like to end today with a modern-day parable. A parable is nothing more than a story that has a greater significance, a greater meaning. And Jesus, of course, was famous for offering such things. It was first shared by a man named Reinhard 
Banki. He was a pretty famous evangelist uh, in Africa. Is actually where he worked. The story goes like this. There was a man who owned a, a two-story house. One day he got a knock at the door. It was Jesus. Yay! So he let Jesus in and, and decided, yeah, Jesus, I, I would love to have you as a part of my life. And so he offered Jesus a room upstairs in the upstairs part of, of his house on the second floor. You see, Jesus will only take what you're willing to give him. Uh, that night, that man was awoken by a violent banging at the door. He, he went to the door, cracked it open to see who was outside, and it was Satan who barged in. A fight broke out as he was battling against Satan, this temptation. He cried out for help as he battled Satan to try to overcome this temptation. Eventually, he did get rid of Satan on that evening. The next morning, the man said, Jesus, Jesus, I cried out last night. Didn't you hear me? My cries for help. And Jesus said, well, um, you see, you, you only gave me this, this one room upstairs. Oh, I, I see, said the man. I, I'm sorry. I'll give you the whole upstairs. The upstairs is all yours, Jesus. It's, it's all yours. The next night, the man awoke again to a violent banging on the door. He went and cracked the door open. And sure enough, it was Satan right there again who barged his way in to the room. The same fight ensued over this temptation, this great battle between this man and Satan, and the man eventually was able to get Satan out, but not with substantial damage. The same thing happened the next morning. He awoke and, and asked Jesus the same question. Jesus, last night, uh, Satan came in. I had this battle. I was crying out for help. Didn't you hear me? And, and Jesus said, well, um, you, you gave me the hole upstairs, but you, you see that the downstairs is it, it's still all yours. Ah, I see, said the man. From now on, the whole house, the whole house is yours, Jesus. The next night, the man once again went to sleep, and the same banging was out the door. This time, Jesus opened the door all the way up. Sure enough, it was Satan at the door again, but this time... He was on his knees, and he said in a low voice, I'm sorry, I must have knocked on the wrong door. The moral of the story, when Satan knocks at the door, let Jesus answer. That's what we all must do. Now, if you've never opened the door to Jesus in your life, then there's an unfortunate reality that you're headed for. I can tell you with certainty that every temptation that comes your way, every evil desire within you, your body will continually try to pursue that desire through multiple, multiple means. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. You need the power of Jesus within you to defeat these temptations. So if you've never accepted this eternal life, the greatest gift ever offered to mankind, the greatest sacrifice ever offered to man, the sacrifice of Jesus, who, who willingly went to the cross and died for you so that you could be with him forever, then today is the day to offer that up. Now, that doesn't fix everything as far as your earthly evil desires. You accept Christ, you're still going to have those same desires. The difference is Jesus is going to provide that exit ramp every time they come around. You just must listen and follow him on those paths. But this is the beginning of the healing. This is the beginning of the fight against whatever it is you've been giving into.
If you are a follower of Jesus for a long time, you and I both know those temptations have not gone away. Our prayer is that we've just become a lot more observant as to where those exit ramps are. And many times we're able to defeat those temptations the moment they do come in our mind. We memorize things like Philippians 4, 8, and we don't allow those things to indwell us. They come in, we kick them out right away. But maybe even as a believer, you're still struggling and giving in to temptations. You're listening to those lies of the world, those lies of Satan that he continues to pursue us with. I pray that you come to a point to overcome that. If you need prayer, there's a button right here on the screen. Click that button. Hit the pray button. We'll begin to connect and pray with you online. It is a little weird, yeah, but it's really cool that we can reach out to people in that way. If you want to make a decision for Christ, man, we would love for that to happen and begin to walk you down that road. If that's you, we have that available right now as well. After you click that button, please, please, please engage us in conversation after that. There's a way to do that right after you click the button to accept Christ. It's more than clicking a button. It's the beginning of a relationship, a lifelong relationship that Jesus gave his life to have with you. We can't wait to share that with you. Let's pray. Father God, we're so grateful that you provided a way out. Fathers, we are bombarded every day with so many different forms of temptation, so many evil desires within us, and yet you provide each and every one of us a way out of every single one of those. I pray that we seek those. I pray if there's anyone watching today that has never, ever accepted the love of Christ and they are battling those temptations in their lives right now, and those temptations, those desires they're giving into are ruining their life, their job, their marriage, their relationship with their kids, whatever it is, I pray today that healing will begin, they will accept you as their Lord and Savior for the first time. And for those believers like myself that still struggle, I pray that we develop friends and family and people around us to help provide those off-ramps, to provide that advice, to provide that accountability that we need to stay within your will. Knowing all the while, Father, that uh, even when we fall short, you will forgive us. But let us learn from those experiences as we move forward. Father, we love you and we cannot thank you enough for the gift of your son and what he's provided for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The way that Jesus provided that exit ramp for us was by living a perfect, sinless life. He took that perfect, sinless life and he offered it as a sacrifice for us. And so if you have your bread and your juice at home available to you. We invite you to partake with us as we take communion together this morning. Take the bread, his body that was broken for us, and eat. juice, which represents his blood that was shed for us, his blood that covers our sins. Drink. That sacrifice that we remember in this moment is one of those potential off-ramps for you. It's something that God can provide in your mind anytime your evil desires begin to tempt you. 
Thank you for joining us this morning. Um, opportunities to give. We thank you. Oh my goodness. We thank you so much for your generosity in these strange times, uh, your faithful giving. And we know that many of you have been able to. Several of you have transitioned to giving online. We thank you for that. Uh, it is a little easier to tabulate things and, and do stuff that way, but uh, that is not in any way a negative. If you're still uh, writing checks and things, that's what I do. And so uh, we appreciate the way that you're giving in that way. Um, same opportunities are on your screen as usual. You can text to give. Uh, you can kick the gl- kick, kick, no, click the give button right there on your screen, or you can go to our webpage, um, bccbrazil.org, and right at the top of the page is a donate now button. Any of those methods work. Just thank you so much for being faithful in that giving. I want to remind you, Tomorrow night, Monday night, 7 o'clock, um, we're going to be live online, the elders are, to share a couple things with you and then to ask some questions and just get some feedback. It will not be a long thing. We're hoping maybe 15, 20 minutes, uh, unless you guys engage us in great conversation, in which case, great, we'll go longer. But we need you to join us um, so that we can converse with you just a little bit about what is what is happening uh, moving forward. We don't know any definites yet, but we want to begin planning those strategies. We've been working on it for a few weeks, and so we just want to uh, share some things with you. All right. I've asked you each week to read next week's text. So this next week is a little different because James, as I said on the first week, um, he'll introduce a topic in chapter one and then he'll cover it more fully later on. And so this next week, we're going to read James 1, 19 through 21, and then a little bit at the end of, of James chapter 1, 126 and 27. And then we're going to skip ahead to chapter three of James verse one and 12. And it all has to do with your tongue. Yes, your tongue. Uh, not a uh, easy topic to discuss, and uh, definitely uh, a difficult thing in the world in which we live. And remember, in today's world, that your tongue includes your text and your Facebook posts and your Instagram posts, and you know that that is all part of the tongue, the outflow of the heart. And I want to remind everybody. Because we have been quarantined, stayed at home order for so long now, probably nobody at all has any idea that it's even May at this point. Um, I wanted to remind you, just in case you forgot, <clears throat> men, next Sunday is Mother's Day. Next Sunday is Mother's Day. So this is your friendly reminder. I know your wife is watching. She's probably staring at you right now. Just want to remind you, just in case you forgot, yes, May has started and Mother's Day is next Sunday. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Um, Yes, we're all excited to get back together one day, but hey, this works until then. We love you so much. Have a great week in the Lord. Hi, Maria. Can't see you, Corey. Good. That was my pants. Hi, Maria. Did you need to tell us anything else important? We were hoping we could get back together at church soon. Yeah. We love you and miss you.